Hello and welcome to the Wish You Knew podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bortvet. Today, for our first full episode, we have a very special guest. Her name is Alex, and if you checked out her bio on the website, you will see that she identifies as deaf, though that's only one of her many identities and her many skill sets. One of them seems to be languages. She mentions that she has learned 11 different languages in her lifetime. I tell you, I am someone who learns languages fairly easily, but that number is impressive. There are not a lot of people out there that have learned 11 different languages. Many of you may be wondering, why would you start an audio podcast with someone who is deaf? Well, this week is the International Week of the Deaf. That's a week that takes place once a year, and the focus is for the deaf community to celebrate being deaf. Throughout the year, as a person who is deaf, I have been told you're always surrounded a lot of times by the hearing community, and for that one week, you just get to celebrate being deaf. There's different activities that go on around the world. Different associations of the deaf will put on events. At those events, it's about raising deaf awareness and also just providing fun activities for the deaf community. When I lived in Cambodia and worked in the deaf community, that was one of our busiest weeks each year because we tried to have events every day as well as a huge party on the weekend so our deaf community could just come together and celebrate and be in a space that was a completely deaf environment or deaf-friendly environment where everyone was signing. So for that reason, I wanted this week to focus on somebody who identifies as deaf. So now let's start talking with Alex. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much for being willing to come on the podcast. You'd said you were an introvert, so I'm sure it's even more difficult to do something like this as an introvert. Your bio is very impressive. I know we have a bunch of listeners who are fascinated by how you have done so many amazing things as a deaf person. For many of us hearing folks, the thought of losing our hearing is terrifying when really it's just a different approach to life. We are very, very glad to have you here to enlighten us. First, you mentioned you have studied and used 11 different languages. Whoa! Which is more difficult for you? learning a new signed language or written language? First, I want to clarify that I'm not claiming fluency in all of those. I have forgotten the sign language I used in Vietnam almost entirely as I was there less than a year, quite some time ago, and have not used it since. But while I was there, I was totally immersed in it. The rest I continue to use on occasion at various levels. A couple, like French, I understand or read well, but have very limited expressive command. As for which is more difficult, learning a sign or spoken language, it depends. In general, I pick up sign languages more quickly as they seem to have more in common with each other due to their visual nature than spoken languages have in common with each other. If you know one sign language, it is easier to learn others than someone who has never learned any sign language. But, as I have a good command of Spanish, I learned Italian fairly quickly, as they are both Romance languages and have a lot in common. Were I to tackle, say, Japanese, it would be a whole different story. You mentioned various sign language. 
Is there one universal sign language? I know a lot of people have asked me that in the past. No, there isn't. It actually puzzles me why people would think there, were, there would be. How in the world could a single language emerge from hundreds of countries and communities that have no contact with each other? If there is not one universal spoken language, why would there be a universal signed language? Anyway, more or less, each country has its own sign language. Some countries have more than one, and some sign languages are used in more than one country. There is something called international sign, but it is not called interna international sign language for a reason. It's not classified as a language, but as a kind of pigeon. It doesn't have the regular rules that a full language has, and there are no native speakers. Yes, it's possible to say that someone speaks a sign language. It's not used as a home language by anyone. International sign, abbreviated as IS, developed among deaf people who traveled, attended international conferences and sporting events, and otherwise have repeated interaction with other deaf people from different countries and is used in those contexts. What we call international sign is largely influenced by European sign languages and ASL, American Sign Language. There's a common core vocabulary of sorts, but it is quite fluid and changeable depending on individuals who are using it. So a presentation given on stage in IS will likely be different from the IS used in a conversation between two Europeans, and again different from that used between, say, someone from the U.S. and someone from Cambodia. Are there accents in different sign languages? Yes, there are. I can't explain it, though. I can say that I can somehow always spot a native Greek, for example, even when they're signing ASL. There's been very little linguistic research on accents in signed languages, and most of that has been on L2 learner accents second language learners or non-native signers. Accent means how someone produces or pronounces things, not which word or signs they use. Like whether you would say tomato or tomato, not whether you would say soda or pop. Sign languages have the same thing. That is, people will produce signs differently in ways that give them away as non-native signers or from a particular region. But sometimes when people say accents, they mean dialect or variation. So I'll touch on that too. As in spoken languages, there's a lexical variation within sign languages. Like how in US languages, some people call a long sandwich a hoagie, poor boy, sub, and other terms. There are different signs for the same concept within sign languages too. In BSL, British Sign Language, 17 different signs for the color purple have been identified. 17 different ways to say the color purple. Whoa. It is my favorite color, though, so I support that. So you have studied all of these different languages. Can you lip read different languages? 
I can, to an extent, not very well in any of them. I avoid it as much as possible. Most of my life is spent around other signing people, whether at work, home, or socially. So I'm not confronted with it that often, actually. Months may go by without me using my voice at all. Many deaf people won't or don't speak or attempt to lip read. For others, it's their primary means of face-to-face communication. So, technically, Spanish is easier to lip read than English, as more of the sounds are frontal and visible. Only about a third of English is visible on the lips. I don't know the percentage for Spanish, but it's higher. Italian is similar. In fact, when I first arrived in Italy, it looked like people were speaking Spanish to me. Anyway, lip reading is really a misnomer. It's not all at all like reading. It's not just lips. Reading print is literally in black and white. No guesswork involved unless the handwriting is really bad. Trying to understand what someone is saying just by watching them speak is mostly guesswork. You take that 30% or whatever that you can actually see and try to piece the rest together using your knowledge of the language, context, and other cues from facial expressions and gestures. Add that much of what is visible looks very similar, like pat, bat, and mat, you get a sort of mental gymnastics that is absolutely exhausting and is never perfect. They should call it speech guessing instead of speech reading. Also, some people are just easier to understand than others. I have to say that I hate it when somebody asks, do you read lips? It's really a trick question. Everyone, including all you you listeners, can read lips to an extent. In fact, you all probably do it as well or better than I can, as you have spent your entire lives speaking and listening to English, a great advantage for lip reading over someone who has never heard at all. You just rarely have the need to, except in very noisy settings or talking through a window or telling a secret or something. So if you ask me if I want tea or coffee, sure, I'll probably be able to lip read that, especially if you're standing there with a kettle in your hand. Context is key. If you want to have a heart-to-heart chat about our hopes and dreams or about um, Kantian philosophy, then all bets are off. It's just too exhausting, frustrating on both our parts. And why is the world, why in the world would you want me to guess what your hopes and dreams are anyway? Life is short. I'm really interested in what you have to say and want to spend my energy connecting with you, not guessing at what you say and trying to just nod and act like I understand. Writing things down may take longer, but I'll make a connection that way, and we can talk about real stuff. In the past, when the umpteenth person has asked me the dreaded question, 
I may or may not have been tempted beyond my power to resist to answer. You want to read lips? Okay, I will if you will. And proceed to talk to them orally with no voice. They inevitably panic and say something like, oh no, not me, just you. Then I tell them that hardly seems fair and they ask, and ask them why they don't want to lip read an entire conversation. It's too hard, they say. Yep. Now, some deaf and hard of hearing people are proficient at lip reading, speech guessing, and don't mind doing it, and may not even sign at all. For them, it's just how they talk with people. Most of them use their residual hearing with amplification hearing aids, or cochlear implants, in addition to watching the face. They put what they see and what they hear together. Remember that deaf people can hear sounds to varying degrees. It's not all or nothing. Hearing devices aren't useful for everyone. Most proficient speech readers that I know struggle much more if they are not using their hearing device. So the audio information is pretty important for them. And there are a few who do remarkably well with just the visual information alone. Good for them. They're a rarity. Not everyone can be Sue Thomas, FBI. So what can you say instead of do you read lips? I suppose I'd really like it if hearing people would ask me, how shall we communicate? because that's what you really want to know. You want to know if you should speak to me or write or use gestures or the manual alphabet that you've learned back in scouting or what. The solution might actually be a combination of all of that, depending on the person, the situation and the topic at hand. I really like it if hearing people took more responsibility for our communication instead of expecting deaf people to accommodate them by reading lips, which involves little or no extra effort on the hearing person's part. Oh, I'll take tea, please. Milk, no sugar. In my mind, this topic of language ties in with culture, as language is a huge part of culture. Can you explain a little bit about deaf culture? What does that mean? Oh my, entire courses are taught on this. Even just defining culture is not as easy as you might think. You are very right that language is a big part of culture, and so sign languages are a huge part of deaf culture. I think it's safe to say it's the biggest, most salient part. Some even refer to deaf people culture community as signing peoples. A deaf-blind Frenchman has proposed a flag to be used internationally by deaf people, and the flag depicts a hand. Hands are popular images used in logos by deaf organizations. No, not that slashed ear icon like you see in airports and at bank tellers that usually indicate an FM loop system is available for people to use with hearing aids. Anyway, 
If culture itself is defined as ideas, customs, values, and social behavior of a particular people or society, there is plenty more besides language that makes a culture. Certain behaviors are easily recognized parts of culture, and after sign language are probably the most cited examples to explain deaf culture. Things like attention-getting techniques contrast greatly to those used by hearing people. Since we obviously just can't say someone's name to get their attention, it's perfectly acceptable and expected to tap someone's shoulder or knee, if seated, to get their attention. If they are too far away to be touched, waving the hand is a next strategy. Banging on a table or stomping on the floor is another way if they can't see the waving hand so that they can feel the vibrations and look up to see what's happening. There's even a way to hoot vocally, especially by a wall, in a way that many deaf people will hear and feel. As you might imagine, this is very, very loud, and we tend to keep its use within deaf space, such as deaf schools or at home. I should mention that this hooting is done among deaf people ourselves, it would be rather offensive if a hearing person did this, unless maybe by a family member. So forget the hooting. But do please tap. Hearing people seem so afraid to touch and be touched. It seems hearing people in public rarely register my voice, meaning I will say, excuse me, behind them five or six times and they won't hear me, or at least not register that I'm saying something to them. So, of course, then I gently tap them in a very polite manner. Half the time, they jump out of their skins and look at me like I was assaulting them. But these same hearing people think nothing of actually shoving me from behind when I don't hear them say, excuse me, on a street, on the stairs, the escalator, in shops, and pretty much anywhere in public space. Can someone please explain this? It's something I want to understand about hearing people. Why are they so loath to simply tap someone on the shoulder but have no qualms about shoving them to the ground? So after attention-getting techniques, equipment is also often presented as artifacts of deaf culture. In our museums, there are old pagers, TTYs, teletype writers, mini-coms used with the telephone, the ingenious homemade contraptions used to knock on doors. These days, it's usually some variation of flashing lights or vibration that use, that alert us to doorbells, fire alarms, incoming texts, and video calls, etc. We seem to have fewer special devices since things like computers and smartphones that the general public have as well provide most communication. We just use the smartphones to make video calls instead of voiced phone calls. And we use Skype and FaceTime for the video feature only. This ability to see each other on video in real time over the internet has changed our lives. It's the equivalent of the invention of the telephone for hearing people. Although it's been around for years, I don't think I'll ever take it for granted. 
heck, I don't take email and instant messaging for granted. I reached adulthood before the internet came about, and I don't think it will ever cease to be something miraculous to me. I love that I love having pen pals as a child, and the ability to communicate instantly with anyone in the world is what first wowed me the most about the internet. Actually, I'll tell you a story. I was one of the first people in the world to communicate via remote video in sign language. It was 1989 at Epcot Center in Florida. My friends and I were starting to leave the park after a long day and walking through one of the pavilions. I saw a table set up with a television and someone sitting in front of it signing. I got closer and saw that someone on the TV screen was signing too. The moment I realized that they could see each other and were talking to each other, everything changed. I mean everything. This was 1989, right? Forget hoverboards. This just got real. Turns out the man on the TV was in Singapore and they were conducting a remote experimental video link. I got to chat with him for a few minutes. His name was David. For all I know, we may have been the first deaf people to have an international conversation in sign language via video. Institutions and organizations are a big part of any culture. Deaf schools, deaf clubs, deaf associations are cornerstones of the community. As most deaf people come from hearing families, many of whom do not sign or sign poorly, the deaf school is a second home to many or even a primary home. In the past, students who traveled far to the residential state school would only go home for summer vacation and Christmas. Nowadays, many students go home at weekends or at least once a month. However, Many deaf schools have been closing as deaf students become increasingly mainstreamed in education, attending public schools. While the perspective of the general public is that this is a good thing, a victory for inclusion, which is a terribly loaded word, deaf people mourn the loss and fear of future without the cultural and spiritual home of the deaf school. It's a place where deaf kids can communicate with everyone around them, not just an interpreter assigned to them. Their classmates and many teachers and administrators are also deaf, so role models abound. Some deaf kids in mainstream education have actually thought that when they grow up, they'll be hearing because they have never met a deaf adult in their lives. Can you imagine? At deaf school, they can easily participate in sports, drama, dance, clubs, student government. Everyone signs. The love of deaf school does not stop at graduation. Alumni are for life, and the term alma mater, meaning nourishing mother in Latin, is spot on. Introductions in the deaf world invariably include where one went to school. 
Homecoming weekends are extremely popular events with multiple generations mingling. This doesn't stop at high school. In the U.S., besides Gallaudet's University in Washington, D.C., the only university in the world specifically for deaf students, there is the rival National Technical Institute for the Deaf, a part of the Rochester Institute of Technology in New York. There are other concentrations of deaf college students in various other higher education programs as well. I mentioned deaf clubs and associations. The deaf club had its heyday and may have closed. In the past, before cell phones and pagers and WhatsApp, deaf people had to make plans in advance to meet up and keep them. It was easy to just show up at a deaf club every weekend and catch up with everyone, signing away late into the night after a long week of perhaps being the only deaf person in your workplace and hardly talking with anyone. With the advent of modern communication technologies, deaf people can be in touch with everyone and with each other remotely as easily as hearing people. And the deaf club is a dying breed. Those that survive largely are attended by older folks. Associations are still very much with us, though. In the U.S., there's the National Association of the Deaf, state associations, professional associations, all kinds. Common values are important and an important part of culture. Deaf people are a collective lot, strong believers in the village. This probably has its roots in, deaf, in the deaf school, as explained earlier. Sharing of information is a big part of this, traditionally achieved by word of mouth via the deaf club. Now we have vlogs and Facebook. There's an old joke that the fastest way to spread news are telephone, telegraph, and teledeaf. There's loads more to say about deaf culture, but I think I'll finish by mentioning name signs or sign names. They're called both. Basically, people have personal sign names. This doesn't mean that there's a sign for Bob and one for Alice. I mean, individuals have a sign name that people use to refer to them. Two people named Mel may have different sign names. In many countries, the sign depicts some physical or personality aspect of the individual. But there are also arbitrary sign names, which are used in the ASL community. For example, someone named Alphonsus might have the signed name of the manual letter A at the shoulder or the back of the hand or on one other location that are used for arbitrary name signs. Otherwise, a sign might indicate a mole he might have on his face or an unusual chin structure or something. The latter type of the name sign is more common internationally. A name sign might be related to the meaning of one's name. I know someone with the surname Fisher whose sign name is Fish. I also realize now that it is difficult to explain on a podcast so I won't go into it further. But just know that people have names in sign language that is not necessarily related to one's spoken or written name. 
And a sign name isn't something that you have to make up for yourself. It's usually given to you by deaf people. You did a great job of summarizing an entire course into just a few minutes. In talking about deaf culture, is that something that's universal? Some people might think so. And there are some elements of deaf culture that are, such as getting people's attention, the value of sign languages, etc. But it would be a fallacy to claim one's global deaf culture. The academic field of deaf studies has been heavily skewed toward Western white communities and is now widening its scope. Remember that deaf people don't live in a bubble either. We are also part of the wider national culture and of our various other subcultures. So while we love meeting other deaf people wherever we go, it's not always necessarily seamless and without any cultural awkwardness. Sign names, for example, while all deaf communities that I know of use sign names, they have different forms and norms of assigning them. Today, when we've been speaking, we've been using the word deaf a lot. I know for some people, they don't know what is the appropriate language to use. We hearing folks may wonder, can we say deaf? Or is it hearing impaired? We have heard things like deaf mute and deaf dumb. What is okay and not okay to use? You can say deaf. That's how we in the deaf community self-identify and how we prefer to be called. Some people who have certain degrees of useful residual hearing may be enough to talk on the phone, may identify as hard of hearing. Others who have similar hearing levels or even more still identify as deaf, especially if they sign. For us, deaf refers to the culture as we talk about just now. It's our community, not where the lines fall on the audiogram. Deaf and hard of hearing is often used to be inclusive. I'm afraid that the term hearing impaired, while used by some people to self-identify, is despised by the deaf community and is actually quite offensive to us. And to think that it is considered a politically correct term. Far from it. It certainly did not arise from the deaf community. We don't consider ourselves impaired. There's nothing wrong with hearing differently or not at all. Hearing isn't just that important to most of us, certainly not a major life activity. The HI term, hearing impaired, is very negative, implying that we're broken, need fixing, and says that we aren't hearing instead of we are deaf. Deaf and dumb and deaf mute are outdated and erroneous terms. Deaf people can speak, whether in the wider sense of using language, including sign language, or in the oral vocal sense. Just because you have difficulty understanding us doesn't mean we can't speak. While most Westerners understand that deaf people speak differently because they don't hear speech enough to replicate it, in some cultures, such as Cambodia, awareness is so lacking 
that many in the general public think that deaf people are physically unable to vocalize due to the lack of tongue or a uvula or who knows what anatomy. Yes, I said uvula. That's the thing that hangs down in the back of your throat. There are parts of the world where it is widely thought that deaf people don't have that and so can't speak. They don't even realize that deaf people can't hear. Once in Cambodia, a waitress passed by our table, hearing me laugh, and immediately accused me of not being deaf after all, which of course caused me to laugh again, further confirming her diagnosis. That said, there are some deaf people who are reclaiming the term deaf-mute in order to emphasize their identity as a people who use sign language, not spoken language. This is not widespread, though, and you shouldn't use the term unless a deaf person has specifically told you that they identify as deaf-mute and that you should refer to them as being deaf-mute as well. You didn't mention the term hearing loss, but I'd like to bring it up as well. While some deaf and hard-of-hearing people have lost their hearing, that is, they used to be able to hear more and now they don't, many deaf and hard-of-hearing people were born that way and so have never experienced a loss of hearing at all. How can you lose what you've never had? Besides, hearing loss sounds so negative and tragic. For many of us, it's not a loss in any sense of the word. Not only have we never had it, but it's just not a value. Hearing level is much more a neutral term and one I use on the rare occasions that it comes up. Culturally sensitive audiologists will talk about one's hearing level, not hearing loss. By the way, it's not considered an appropriate topic of conversation. We certainly don't sit around talking about our hearing levels. Yet one of the first questions that hearing people often ask a deaf person is, how much can you hear? I get that they're probably just trying to figure out how to communicate. But to deaf people, the question seems an odd one at best and actually rather personal and nosy. Maybe comparable to asking how much someone weighs. Misuse of language like this can probably be pretty hurtful. What are other things that we hearing folks do that are rude or hurtful? Hopefully we're doing them unintentionally. Well, saying hearing impaired is a major one, but we've talked about that. The other word at the top of the list is actually sorry. Any deaf person would know what I mean. At any random encounter with a hearing stranger in public, they say something to you and are waiting for a response. When you let them know you're deaf, 99.9% .9 of the time they will say, sorry. Often by follow, followed by turning on their heel and running away. I mean, what? What are you sorry about? Are they sorry we're deaf? Don't be, we've talked about that. Are they sorry that there was a communication glitch? Are they sorry they picked me of all the people in the room to talk to? Sorry they don't sign? Sorry they don't know how to respond to diversity? I want to know. This is something else I wish I knew about hearing people. 
Can you do a podcast about that? Another thing involves interpreters. Hearing non-signers love sign language interpreters. It's almost guaranteed that at any event where there is an interpreter, that at least one hearing person will go up to them afterwards and gush about how beautiful, amazing, clear their interpreting was and how they could really understand so much even though they don't know any sign language and how much like dancing it is, etc., etc., ad nauseum. How long did it take them to learn? Can they rap like that lady on YouTube? Is sign language universal? So how do you say, insert expletive of choice, all the while the deaf person is, or persons are standing right there? Rarely will those hearing people ever think to approach a deaf person, even with an interpreter right there at their disposal. Nota bene, this annoys any interpreter worth their salt as well. And they will usually make attempts to direct such comments and questions to any deaf people nearby. Sadly, even those hearing people who will actually approach a deaf person will often limit their comments and questions to those related to sign language or about being deaf. This happens even in professional contexts. It makes me feel like just a deaf token with my only purpose being to educate hearing people. I get it that may feel awkward approaching a stranger, but so you were born that way. It's hardly an appropriate icebreaker in anyone's book. Another thing that hearing people do that baffles me is to come up to me and just start signing the ABCs, not even spelling hi or telling me their name, just a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. I just spelled the whole thing out so you can feel how utterly ridiculous it is to sit there waiting for someone to finish getting through their reciting the alphabet, usually very slowly, with errors and false starts and starting over and expecting correction. At least when someone speaks only a little English, they will come up and say, hi, how are you? Or what's your name? Or you're very nice. You know, an actual friendly greeting, certainly not reciting the alphabet to you. It seems a running theme is of hearing people seeing deaf people as just deaf. I know that it happens with other differences, including those of race and disability, I think it's more pronounced with deaf people due to the communication issues. It is always good for us to know what we can do to be more respectful of one another. I want to go in a different direction now. We had many listeners with all kinds of random logistics questions. For many people and a number of our listeners, they have never met a deaf person before, and they just have no idea what you can and cannot do as someone who is deaf. One person asked, can you drive? What? Someone really asked this? Yes. It puzzled me that some people think that being deaf would be a problem with driving. I mean, how many hearing people blare the radios? Driving is 100% visual. 
But what about sirens, you say? As far as I know, anything on the road that has a siren also has flashing lights. Actually, statistics show that deaf drivers have safer driving records than the general public. Someone asked, do you know how to drive a manual? If so, they're wondering how you know when to shift gears. I actually prefer standard shift. I like to be in control. I learned to drive on a 1971 Volkswagen van, stick shift, four on the floor. And until this question came up, I don't think I've ever consciously realized that hearing people depend on hearing to know when to shift gears. You feel when to shift, obviously, vibrations. Someone else asked, how do you get up in the morning? For most of us, we require a blaring alarm to get out of bed. I'm so sorry you have to wake up to a blaring alarm clock. That seems terrible. I'm such a natural early bird that I don't own an alarm clock. There are alarm clocks with vibrating attachments to put under the mattress that will shake your bed and half the house for good measures or make a light flash. I truly despise alarms. Lots of deaf people and hearing people use them, though, as you said. And I haven't since the early 90s because I just wake up plenty early on my own. On the rare occasion when I need insurance, like for an early flight or train these days, I'll put my phone under my pillow and set a vibrating alarm. That works for me. Yes, I know you shouldn't sleep with your brain so close to a cell phone, but it's really only very occasionally. An old-fashioned trick that I use as well is to just drink a massive glass of water at bedtime, guaranteed to wake you a few after a few hours. When my cat was young, she was also an excellent alarm. Being an early bird myself, I didn't mind her request for breakfast at dawn. Some deaf people have service dogs trained to alert them to sounds, including alarms. So they may have a conventional audio alarm clock and leave it to their dog to wake them up. Incidentally, my cat does alert me to sounds at home. She's so clingy, she's always at my side, if not on top of me, and is so curious that she will respond to sounds and lead me to their source better than a doorbell, except for when she's taking a nap. So when you're napping like your cat, when you dream, are people around you speaking or signing? And if they're speaking, can you hear and understand them? I have dreamt in all the languages I know, spoken and signed, but usually dream in no language at all like telepathy. I've had dreams where people are speaking and I couldn't understand them, like in real life, but also when I could understand every word somehow. I don't know if you'd call it hearing, but it wasn't speech reading, and even speak back fluently in French, which I can read but don't speak or hardly even write. And I don't know the rules of pronunciation. But in that dream, I was speaking perfect fluent French. C'est vrai? 
Dreaming in a new language is a milestone in language learning. It's gotten into your brain enough to appear in your subconscious. One person writes, if you are alone in a house, do you get that hair stand up on the back of your neck feeling like you're being watched? For you, what triggers it? For her, it is connected with sound. No, I've never had that feeling until this question now, that is. And I'm at home alone. Great. Thanks. Bumps and thumps do that to me. I suppose they're usually from neighboring flats or houses on the row. Once when I was staying alone, house-sitting for friends, I kept feeling this repeated thump. I started to get scared as it was a a detached house, no neighboring houses on either wall, and texted my friend. It turned out that a thunderstorm had suddenly broken. The, The curtains were closed and I hadn't seen it. Now I grew up in Florida and I know thunderstorms. Guess the unfamiliar surroundings just threw me off. We have talked about some of your other senses through this interview. Do you feel any of your other senses are heightened because you are deaf? Research has shown that many deaf people have better peripheral vision than hearing people. I know I often feel vibrations that hearing people say they can't feel. I think they are just distracted by what they hear. Sound is vibration, after all. It just makes sense that with less distractions, you notice more things. I know that I feel vibrations better if I'm not wearing hearing aids. Someone asked, if you could be hearing for one day, would you want to? And what would you want to hear? If it were for just one day, I suppose I'd give it a go. I could put up with almost anything for a day. To be boring and scientific, if that were to actually happen somehow, my brain wouldn't know what to do with all that new foreign input, and it probably wouldn't be a very pleasant experience. If part of this hypothetical miracle would be that my brain could process and pleasantly interpret said input as someone who had been hearing their whole life, then being on the ocean and the birds and Beethoven's and Bohemian Rhapsody and all the cliches, I'd rather have wings for a day. That would be uber cool. Or even one of those lithe runner bodies. I've always sucked at running. It would be amazing to complete a marathon. Or be a cat. I'd love to spend a day inside my cat's head. Yeah, I don't think I'd waste a one-day scenario on hearing. How do you see being deaf as a superpower? When has it gotten you out of awkward situations? We are totally awesome communicators. Forget about lip reading. We can travel anywhere and feel at home, connect with anyone who is open to it on our terms. Because even in our hometowns, we have to teach people how to communicate with us every day, every single day. Every single day, we talk with people who don't know our language. So we don't bat an eye when confronted with someone whom we may share no common language with at all. My research in recent years has actually been on that very superpower. We've studied how deaf signers from different countries communicate when they first meet each other, sharing no common language, signed or otherwise, not even English. 
and how that communication evolves over time with daily contact. I'm not talking about international sign. We are careful to select participants who have had no knowledge of IS and no significant experience traveling. So when you bring together an Indonesian, a Jordanian, a Japanese, a Brit, all deaf and fluent in their respective national languages, magic happens. It's probably much how international signs started many years ago. In a way, we turn back the clock to see how it may have been created. They learn some of each other's sign languages, but sophisticated gestures are used from the start and null signs are created within the group. The local sign language takes a leading role as participants also interact with deaf people in the host community. I mean, from the very first minute they meet, which we documented, of course, they talk, and not just about the weather. Can you imagine how it would go if four hearing people had no common language, were sat in front of a camera, and told to talk to each other? You could hear the crickets. So I don't know about awkward situations, except maybe occasional speeding ticket that I got off with, with just a warning. But I'm sure my death powers have opened many doors. I was the first person in my family, all hearing, to have a passport. I don't understand why some hearing people are so amazed that deaf people travel alone. I've seen so many hearing people who freeze when confronted with someone who doesn't speak English or whatever their native tongue is. They don't even know how to ask where the toilet is. Some apparently don't even know how to count on their fingers. Also, I think it's difficult for many hearing people to make friends whilst traveling. Deafies, wherever we go, find others and have an instant contact or a new friend. Yes, I said deafies. We sometimes call ourselves that. You can't use that word, though. It's like hooting, in-group only. Sorry. Thank you so much for being willing to share all of your wisdom with us today. Before we sign off, I just have two final questions. A number of hearing listeners asked, what can we as hearing folks do to make the world better for deaf folks? Or some version of that question. They all had different ways of stating it. Maybe that would be the same answer, but as a final question, what are three things you wish we knew? How to make the world better. Hmm. Here are a few ideas. Learn a sign language. It's always great to find that someone signs, even a little. Just yesterday, the staff person at the public library desk knew some BSL and was able to help me that way. I always ask someone first if they sign before breaking out the pen and paper. Most of the time the answer is no, but sometimes I get a nice surprise. Watch deaf presenters and artists on YouTube, storytellers, poets, song signers. Like, subscribe, promote them, not hearing people signing songs. Promote hashtag deaf talent. While learning that sign language, do not post videos of yourself on YouTube signing songs. Just don't. Learn another sign language if you have the opportunity. 
When you travel, learn something about the deaf community of that place. Call the media out when they use offensive terms for deaf people or spread misconceptions. Deaf and hard of hearing are not interchangeable terms. They mean different things. Non-hearing and hearing impaired are just not acceptable. If you post videos, caption them with plain text transcriptions to boot, because captions are not accessible to most deaf-blind people. Seriously, caption your videos. If you see an uncaptioned video in the media, ask why it isn't captioned, and then when they will be adding. Deaf people do this all the time, and it's tiring being an ally. Three things I wish you knew. One, deaf people in general are quite happy being deaf and wouldn't have it any other way. I no more grieve not hearing than I grieve for my lack of prostate or of a third arm, which is not at all. I've never had one, by the way. It would be really weird if I did have one. But I can understand how someone else would be upset if they lost theirs. Number two, about interpreters. Most sign language interpreters are also spoken language interpreters. By definition, interpreting happens between at least two languages. In this context, it's usually between a signed and a spoken language. In the U.S., most typically between ASL and English. Although it is often between ASL and Spanish, there are some different interpreters who are often deaf themselves who work between different signed languages such as ASL and LSM, Mexican Sign Language, or ASL and LSQ, Quebec Sign Language in Canada. I've done a lot of this myself between various signed languages. Deaf interpreters often interpret between a visual sign language and a tactile sign language with deaf blind people. I think that's a whole other podcast, though. Oh, and interpreters are not for deaf people or for the deaf, regardless of the name of the National Professional Registry for ASL interpreters in the U.S. Deaf people alone don't need interpreters. It's most often only with hearing people that interpretation becomes necessary. Then the hearing people need interpreters as much as the deaf people. Again, by definition, interpreting happens between at least two languages. So anyone speaking while an interpreter is present is using the interpreter. Anyone listening to what the interpreter is saying is using the interpreter. The interpreter is for everyone in the room, not just for the deaf person or people. It makes sense, of course. It's just that most people don't think it through. And the third, there are certified deaf lifeguards. I was mud myself for several years. But you can't hear if a drowning person is calling for help, you say. Anyone who's been through lifeguard training knows that a person who is drowning is physically incapable of calling out or waving or doing anything besides trying to breathe. It's called the instinctive drowning response and includes certain postures. 
People have drowned just a few feet away from other people, hearing people who have had no idea they were even struggling. Like driving, lifeguarding requires visual alertness and attentiveness, which deaf people may actually have an advantage. Besides, lifeguarding is largely preventative. I only had occasion once to pull someone out of the water who was struggling, and this was from a riptide at the beach when I wasn't even on duty. Oh, and deaf people can dance too. Karen, thank you for this opportunity to chat with you and all your listeners about this. I am proud to have a podcast under my belt now. Thanks. A huge thank you to Alex for being our first guest on the Wish You Knew podcast. I hope that you have also been able to learn something new about someone who holds an identity that you maybe previously did not understand. Thank you so much for listening, and you will find in the show notes all kinds of links, some of them to things that Alex referenced. I'll put up some links to Deaf Talent. She used that hashtag, so deaf people that are involved in music and the arts and have put those things up on YouTube. I have a few that are my favorite to follow, so I'll put those in the show notes. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please send them our way. Until next time, remember, people are people are people. Keep listening, keep learning, keep loving. Have a great week.